You are entering the Freedom Hut. Gone with the wind? Cancelled. How defund the police quickly turns into socialism. A backstory has emerged between George Floyd and Officer Chauvin. Protesters claim control over a section of Seattle. Fauci tries to revive COVID fears. We got that and more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Honor and a privilege to have a chance to chat with all of you across the country. And my, oh my, the, the cultural revolution, it seems, is underway, or at least some people are trying very hard to start it. They're doing everything that they can. We're at the early phases here. Rewrite our history, tear down statues, get rid of books, get rid of movies, get rid of TV shows. And I would just ask, where does all this stop? But really, the more important question, I suppose, is where is it going? This is about ultimately about power. This is about shifting the narrative. If you go back, if, if you go back to what we all learned in Poli Sci 101, you know, the, the origins of the nation state, or even I've been listening on tape to this book, Sapiens, which I should I should have known better than to get too deep into this one. I'm about uh, halfway through it right now. Uh, it was highly recommended, according to its promotional materials, by Mark Zuckerberg, by uh, former President Barack Obama. But I figured, all right, I'll check this out. And it's now just mostly how we explain a humanity without the existence of God or, or a creator, the, the history of all, of all humanity. There's some interesting stuff about evolution, but it's a lot of it is rather intuitive. Uh, but they keep taking you through these different versions of Really, our whole world is just a, a, a series of ideas. Right? Corporations are just an idea. Nations are just an idea. And it's one that we all have some we all have some buy in. We, we understand that it exists, even though as a tangible thing, it does not. You know, what, what was the difference? Let's say back in 1980, what was the difference between the United States and the Soviet Union? If, if, if you came from outer space and landed on the ground in the middle of the Soviet Union or or the middle of America. Well, they're both Earth, they're both territory, or you'd be walking around, there'd be trees, there'd be grass, or perhaps snow in the Soviet Union, whatever. But the difference would be that the individuals, the human beings that you come into contact with, would have very different customs, perceptions, sense of rule of law, ways of acting, ways of approaching, ways of believing. That would be the difference that you would... Ways of communicating. These are the things that really uh, are, are defining in our modern world. This is why we are different from the, the previous parts uh, of our history, our, our earlier parts in our evolution, where we were just doing whatever we could to band together, kill a woolly mammoth, and stay alive, right? There's, now we have these complex ideas, these things we buy into. And we also understand that ideas can mobilize millions of people in a way that person-to-person contact cannot. This is true of religions. This is true of political systems. And the book is an interesting enough, I suppose, exploration of those those basic ideas or those underlying, I should say, those foundational ideas. What we have right now, why am I bringing this up? What we have right now in this country is an effort in many ways to reshape 
some of the fundamental ideas about our society, to change our history in order to seize power in the present and to dictate our future. That, that is a large, a large section of what you see happening right now. And that's why what started out as look at this terrible incident of police violence against an unarmed black man has now this has now spiraled into not just riots and looting and and massive protests during a pandemic, I might add. Everyone just forgot about the risks. That's that's what happened. Oh, no, it's okay now. Now you're allowed to do these things because you have a really good reason, they say. Well, now that we have seen this play out a bit more, we understand that the goals of the movement are much more widespread. Now we're seeing all of the demands that are coming out, and I'll I'll get into what's going on in uh, Seattle, for example, where they've seized a section. Protesters have, I don't know how much they could really claim to have seized it, but they say, I mean, they say they have, uh, and they're calling it an autonomous zone. But you see the the demands coming out from the protesters, and it's really the, the Marxist left resurrected, or I should say the Marxist left emboldened they now see this as an opportunity and so they're going after everything right now and and that's why the the there's all this this stuff that has to do with culture not not with police actions not with even legislation the cultural pressure to bend the knee do what we say obey the mob and i would remind you and it's it's a consistent theme that I've had now in the many years going on a decade I've been doing this show. When you look at movements throughout history that have been truly transformative, it's the hardliners, it's the radicals, it's the true believers from within the ranks who are usually not a majority, in many cases are just the loudest and most aggressive and most certain and most power-hungry minority within the movement. They end up in charge. The the history of the Soviet Union comes to mind right away. You had the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. You had all these different communist factions, the Democratic Socialists. Oh, that's right. Like like what Bernie Sanders says he is, right? There there was a Democratic Socialist faction in the Soviet Union during the Civil War there as well. And, And there was all this fighting over power between them. But in the end, the true hardliners, you know, Lenin and then Stalin, they were ascendant. They were ascendant. So while people can always point to the more moderate elements within a mass movement, understand that it is often those who are most dedicated and most most ruthless in their cause that end up making the decisions and becoming the movement. They, They tell the rest of the people involved and then everybody else that they seek to rule over. This is how it's going to be. Well, you should keep that in mind as we look at What's happening right now with the age? I mean, the big one that's getting on the headlines is the HBO cancellation temporarily here. I guess it's on HBO Max. They're saying it's temporary until they can provide more context of the movie Gone with the Wind, which I I think people consider one of the great classics of American cinema now. And producer Mark can make fun of me for this later because I'm in the middle of a serious monologue here. But this is true. I have never seen Gone with the Wind. I tried to watch it once with some friends in high school, and I fell asleep about 10 minutes into it. I have a basic idea of what it's about, but all I really need to know is that this movie has existed for decades and decades and been beloved, and I think it has sold more tickets 
still to this day because of re-releases than any other movie in American history. And it's the first movie ever uh, for which an African-American actor received either an Oscar or an Oscar nomination. I forget which. Uh, and it's something that's just a, a part. Uh, it's, it's a part of film canon. It's, it's something that people know. Now, again, I haven't seen this one. I'm somebody and I don't want to get diverted into this now because we have important we have an important focus here on cancellation culture and how it's pernicious and destructive and only going to get worse. That's something I want to remind everybody of. This does not get better until people start saying enough. I will not bend the knee. I will not apologize enough. But I, I do think that generally there is a an elevating of older movies. And this is across this is across you know, all, all film in America. Elevating of older movies as not just historically were in, interesting or worthwhile you know, in their time and place, but as being better than they are. I'm just going to say it. And you know, I had I had a teacher, one of my greatest teachers of all time. He used to say, if the movie's black and white, it's got to be good. Nah, not true. <laughs> not not true, unfortunately. Uh, but here we have the cancellation by HBO of Gone with the Wind, um, which on its own, you may say, OK, I mean, is this really? But you also have a Christopher Columbus statue that has been pulled down and dragged into a lake. The long-running reality TV show, decades long. I remember hanging out in my parents' in my parents' room as a kid with my siblings, and once in a while, my dad would be flipping through the channels, and we would watch the show Cops. And for whatever reason, there were a lot of people that were getting arrested that didn't have a shirt on. I just remember that, and there was some crazy stuff that you'd see on that show. And Cops has been around for decades. The show Cops has been pulled now. Uh. Elmer Fudd has had his, in the latest version of the Elmer Fudd Bugs Bunny cartoon, no, no longer has a gun. I don't know what he has. I don't know if he's walking around carrying a pair of binoculars or something, but that, that, has, been, uh, that has been changed as well. And either you look at, and it, this is not going to stop. This is not going to stop at all. Um, they, they are emboldened. The left is emboldened right now. And you see this among fundamentalist religious and political movements all throughout history that they, they attack elements of the culture and they get people to start saying, okay, I'll concede, I'll concede, I'll concede. And no one ever stops to ask, well, hold on a second. Why are you attacking this and not that? Why does this go, but not the other thing? And what gives you this authority? And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to replace it with? It's a fair question to ask, isn't it? And why are we now judging certain things from history based on a 20, meaning whether it's, you know, a piece of literature or, you know, the, the morality of an individual then and how it affects their, uh, their writings or how it... Now, look, I'm not saying that there should never... There should always be discussion about this. There should always be ongoing debate and who is this person. And that's all fine. That's all a part of the intellectual exchange and of the cultural diffusion and and evolution that we're all going through constantly. But to say this is banned, to say decolonize your bookshelf, how far is that from book burning? And when are we allowed to push back and say, well, I'm sorry that there are some people who wrote books in the 20th century that you did not now judging them in 2020, 
you don't think were in the in you know the 19th century, the 18th century, you know, go back in time. But I'm sorry that judging them by today's standards, they are misogynists or they're not woke enough or whatever it may be. Uh, but I'm not going to allow the noise, the noisy, true believers of the left to eradicate culture that they don't like today, or rather to eradicate cultural touchstones and just because it serves their narrow political purposes. And why, why are they getting rid of the show cops? It just shows cops doing what they do. Oh, it's a glorification of, of the police state? Well, isn't it also showing us, isn't it also transparency? Shouldn't we have an awareness of what law enforcement officers are doing in our names day in and day out, the risks they take, the, the stresses on their families? You know, I understand that it's spectacle. All TV is, of course, by its, by its very nature, a spectacle. But the removal of this, and look, I'm not sitting here crying big tears because cops, the reality TV shows no longer, but there's going to be more. I want to know when Law & Order is going to get pulled. Law & Order is a scripted, fictional series, uh, and, it, and, it show, and if you watch enough Law & Order, you'll see there are a lot of you know, college-educated edu- college white 40-year-old males who live in very nice houses or live in fancy neighborhoods of Manhattan who fly into a rage and killed the maid for no reason. There's a lot of that in the movie, in the show Law & Order. Just going to tell you. Uh, there are all kinds of efforts that are already made by these writers in Hollywood and the, these script writers of these various TV shows to, uh, let's just say, be, be, be woke in more subtle ways. But it's not enough to be subtle. You have to, you have to absolutely bend the knee. You have to bend over backwards now. And I, I would want to know, on what basis... Do we stop if it's really going to be anybody with a history of racism or misogyny or anyone involved in this slave trade at any point in history anywhere in the world? Right. Because slavery of any human being is a is a deep wrong and it's and it's uh, grotesquely immoral. Uh, Of course, slavery historically through societies all over the world until a couple of hundred years ago was completely it was the norm. People often forget this. The Vikings owned slaves. The Romans owned slaves. The entire Muslim empire of the Ottoman world, all built on the backs of slaves. Of course, in the New World, African slaves brought here. I mean, you, you, you look at uh, South America, African slaves brought there. But go throughout history and conquest, and usually slavery as a part of that conquest, are the norm. So if we're really going to talk about history, what what are we supposed to, how are we going to read anyone's books or look at anybody as, now I'm not saying you can't have this conversation, but to nullify or to destroy or to push aside and say, no, 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 we can't read this or no, we can't talk about this. This is ignorance for the purposes of control. You should be able to read, you should be able to read the works of the worst people in history, like Karl Marx, for example. Responsible. His ideas, going back to the conception of what a society is and how our agreements on things that are effectively fictions, right? A a nation state, a law. These are not tangible things, but they affect so much of life. Karl Marx created the fiction of a worker's paradise of socialism that killed hundreds of millions of people in the 20th century. 
and if we're not careful, is going to kill hundreds of millions more in the 21st. So should we say that we can't we can't learn anything about Marx? We can't read his. No, of course not. They celebrate him. There are still statues of Lenin in America, never mind in the Soviet Union. If we're going to talk about historical figures that can no longer no longer not just be elevated, but even be discussed, I would just want to know what do we do about different religious figures out there? You know, the, the good news is for Jesus, he's in good shape. There are some religious figures, though, some very well-known ones that if you were to look into their past, you'd say, wow, that's that's not woke at all. That's not woke at all. There are religious figures, even major founders and and people that are revered effectively as being divine themselves. Who owned slaves? Who murdered captives? And there are a whole lot of people named after some of these founders, too. So I, I, does, does, that, does that get brought into this discussion? Or no, that's not brought into the discussion. No, no, that, that can't be a part of it. Only certain things. See, the problem that you see unfolding before you is that there's only one, there's only one uh, cultural tradition that is under assault in this way. And it is the Judeo-Christian Western civilization tradition that is embodied here in America. That, that is under assault from the left right now. And somehow everything else or anything that doesn't fit into that, that framework escapes criticism. Why is that? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. To be woke is to be drunk with power because there are no outer limits to your ideologies, willingness to destroy, to cancel, to nullify. So it's very enticing in that regard. But also understand this. There is really nothing in our culture. There is nothing that can survive the true application of wokeness. Eventually, it consumes itself. Eventually, all historical figures are imperfect. Eventually, there's nothing that you will be allowed to celebrate except what the people who are in charge of the wokeness in that moment deem acceptable. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, it's nice to see some people change their mind to head of the NFL said, yeah, maybe we was wrong. Football players, maybe they did have the right to peacefully protest. Well, don't apologize. Give Colin Kaepernick a job back. Oh, okay. So somehow this has now transitioned into we need to start having financial amends made here, too. It's not just about police conduct and, and equality in dealing with the police. Remember, there, there is no racial discrimination enshrined in criminal law right now. If it existed, you would hear about it. It does not exist. What they're talking about is in the application of law, they claim there is systemic. The left claims there is systemic discrimination. And to look at that, they say that that's because of a of uh, of disparity in arrests. Well, that forces the that forces the conversation. Well, is there a disparity in criminal conduct? Or are you suggesting is the left suggesting that the 
disparity in minority arrests from uh, with non-minorities on a per capita basis is a result of officers arresting innocent people on mass. I mean, millions and millions of people over time being arrested who are innocent and prosecuted and charged and then convicted and convicted in a court of law by a jury of their peers. Usually they take a guilty plea. Well, I'm just I want to know what is really the contention then? And that's a fundamental question that that no one really is allowed to ask or, or deal with. If we're looking at disproportionate numbers, is there also disproportionate violation of laws within given uh, whether we're talking about neighborhoods or cities or communities, whatever it may be? And, and what's going on there? And then you get into root causes of criminality, root causes of social dysfunction and breakdown. And that may be a very worthwhile conversation to have. But the only conversation we can have right now is the system is racist and you better start giving stuff to people that are demanding stuff or else. It, it, it transitioned from an appeal to our basic and underlying morality as human beings, seeing someone uh, choked. Uh, and I believe the person actually died. I believe George, uh, George Floyd died of heart, congestive heart uh, failure, but it could have been brought on by being choked in this way and causing the racing pulse and all the, all the rest of it. He didn't actually, I don't believe he asphyxiated to death. I think the coroner's report, by the way, just saying this, people, I, I'm just telling you what the coroner's report says, not what the family's coroner that investigated the body, but what the actual coroner's report says, and that is that he was, uh, he died uh, from heart failure. And also he did have, George Floyd had uh, drugs in his system, and uh, whereas we, we know also, anyway, there's a backstory that I'll, I'll be getting into shortly. But what does Colin Kaepernick have to do with any of this? What does Colin Kaepernick have to do with any of this? And, and, and I wonder, um, I wonder when folks are going to start to look at that and say, hold on a second. Colin Kaepernick, in some ways, the best thing that could happen is if they did put him back in the NFL, give him a starting job and let him throw you know, four interceptions a game and no touchdowns. And then people would say, well, of course, they'd say, well, it's because you took the job away from him for a few years. He lost his edge. No, the reality is the guy was on the decline of his career and he pulled this move to become a social justice and, you know, civil rights icon of sorts on the left now and the Nike campaigns and all this stuff. He pulled all this as a resurrection of a career that was basically done. Huge benefit for him. No downside. No downside. In fact, now, why, why have to deal with guys trying to tackle you and possibly getting injured and, all that, injured and all that stuff when you can just be a hero for taking a knee? Now, I'll have you remember, while they try to claim that anyone who disagrees with them now doesn't understand, you're rejecting systemic racism, doesn't understand this stuff. And I mentioned this yesterday. It was actually back in 2016 that Ruth Bader Ginsburg said... So what I said yesterday in the show was true about the Supreme Court justice, but I forgot this was this was a few years back. Didn't say it right now. I think it's dumb and disrespectful. The Kaepernick protest during the flag. That's the, the left wing icon, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG, the notorious, as they call her. She's like, this is dumb and disrespectful. It is dumb and disrespectful. Those of us that remember how this all started, the reason it got so much attention was that it was rooted in disrespect. And then once it got all the attention, they changed. They shifted away from, oh, well, this is saying that America's racist while we're trying to honor the American flag. This isn't that. This is about some other thing. This is about some other situation. 
and keep changing the debate topic every time they begin to lose the debate, just like with defund the police. We see this play out in, in other ways as well. And you have a TV host on, what is it, The View? I mean, the dumbest show on television, The View. I mean, I, I honestly would, I would rather get my politics from the cooking channel. And I don't mean a politics show on the cooking channel, just like whatever the, whatever the random chef happens to throw in there, that would be more insightful than what I see on a regular basis on, on The View. Uh, but Sonny Hostin thinks that Colin Kaepernick, well, here, I'll, I'll let her say it for herself. Play clip 11, please. And the question is, is Colin Kaepernick owed an apology? Uh, what do you think, Sonny? Well, I don't. I think he's not only owed an apology, Whoopi, I think he's owed his job. I think he's owed back pay. And I think he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. I think what's fascinating about it is when you listen to Roger Goodell's uh, mea culpa, he mentions everything. He says we were wrong. Uh, we should have listened. Athletes uh, in the league are now allowed to take a knee. We support peaceful protest. He mentions every single thing except the very name of the man who started the protest. Tell you this much. The NFL is is really risking a lot here. We've gone now for many months without professional sports, and I've been saying it's a unifying force in America. But if, if it stops to be a unifying force, there's a lot, of other, a lot of other methods and means of entertainment out there. And I'm telling you, if, if anyone wants to prove this wrong, all we have to do is see. Let's just see what happens to NFL viewership and game attendance. If this is such a good idea, if it's not disrespectful at all, you have players kneel. Be, you know, kneel during the, you know, every every national anthem. Just just have a few players kneel every time and see what ends up happening. You know, they want to be disrespectful. They can pay the con- they can pay the price, pay the consequences. Of, but because we're allowed to say that that's disrespectful. See, this is the problem. People think that free speech in the First Amendment only applies to one side, the left, the woke, the Democrats. Let's not forget that's the Democrats are the party now of the authoritarian mob. Do what we say or else. And there's really no outer limit to what they're willing to demand. Stay in your home, lose your job, have no freedom, can't go to a funeral, can't gather together, wear a stupid mask on your face, wear a mask all the time. Why? Because they say so. You better or else. And they'll whip up the mob into a frenzy to be their enforcement arm. Until then, they have the mob for a different reason, these protests, and then all of a sudden COVID-19 isn't politically useful to them, and it ceases to be an issue. I am, I am more furious about that bait and switch. I am more furious about what they've done with the COVID-19 lockdown and the lies that public health, public health experts were telling about this. And, you know, why Dr. Fauci isn't standing up and screaming, you're killing thousands and thousands of people, old people. You know, why isn't he there yelling that now as the protests are all over the, all over the country? No social distancing. If they don't need to social distance, then damn it, I don't need to social distance. But no, that's not the world we're living in. The world we're living in is whatever the left, socialist, social justice, identity politics mob wants and demands at any point in time. That's what we all have to adhere to. And there, it's very powerful. You know, corporate America, I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm getting... Emails from companies that I bought 
you know, insoles from 10 years ago. I'm, you know, the, the company that I, I once bought a packet of, of bubble gum from is sending me an email. You know, we stand with the protesters of Black Lives Matter. First of all, I don't care. But second of all, this is really concerning. Because the power that the left has to magnify its message and that the depraved, cowardly mainstream media, no real ethics, no real... Look at the New York Times. Look at the cancellation there of wrong think. Getting rid of the op-ed editor. The guy was a, an absolute dyed-in-the-wool progressive. He's a left-winger. But he thought, I'm an op-ed editor, so you know sometimes we got to have opinions that show the other side. Nope. Canceled. See, this is the difference. This is what I mean with our history, with our literature, with our movies. It's not, here's why I don't like this thing that you are free to watch. It's no one is allowed to watch it. No one is allowed to read it. Deplatform it, bury it, punish anybody that asks any questions about it. That's a very different thing. That's a very different thing. And they continue to rewrite the aims of the movement and to try and just mobilize and get so much of a frenzy going that all of the distortions and all of the incongruities and irrational elements of the movement, such as they are, uh, get, get swept aside. It doesn't matter. It's all about achieving what they're trying to achieve. And this, this is very Soviet. I mean, I've been somebody who for a long time has found it uh, very instructive to understand the mentality of the left. You learn about the Soviet Union. I mean, read the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, read what it was like in this country for those who believed that they should be helping the Soviet Union because they were achieving paradise. Total equality for all people with no one in need, no one going hungry, everyone having a job, everyone having a home, everything provided by the state. Read Whitaker Chambers' witness and his conversion both to the cause of communism and then away from it. And the role of the American media and intelligentsia, particularly from the academy and from the government, in assisting communists while also assuring the public that there had been uh, there had been no penetrations of the United States government, which to this day is a lie. And Alger Hiss was, in fact, a, a communist agent. But here we are. Once again, moving, m moving goalposts all over the place. And people are scared. People don't want to lose their jobs. And, and this is what I was saying about, about the corporate, uh, the corporate momentum here and how it's just so clearly they, they just the left boycotts. They've established that, you know, you know, how with it, with a criminal cartel, they'll say, I can't, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll order a hit on somebody. They'll order an assassination of somebody merely because they can't let it be out. You'll hear this in movies all the time. I can't have that disrespect. They, I can't believe that somebody or I can't allow it to be believed that somebody would take a swing at us. And we would not come back 10 times harder. All right. That's that's widespread. You know about this in cartels. You know about this from from criminal activity. What you see right now is anyone, anyone who speaks out gets crushed. And the corporations, they know they all have internalized that the left will mobilize against them with an action. The left will order the hit, so to speak, against the company. Conservatives don't do that. And so that, that means not only are we being silenced, but lunatic left-wingers 
can get, you know, the most, oh, they can get, you know, Mercedes commercials and the fanciest cars and Starbucks and the most blue chip brands imaginable, just piling money toward their intellectual ineptitude and mediocrity over at MSNBC and CNN and all these places. They, they can be as woke as they want and get the biggest sponsors in the world. Meanwhile, anybody who's a conservative, who has an audience, who has, who has real worth in the public sphere, has to worry every single day about them coming after you for trying to make the counter-narrative because you're a counter-revolutionary in doing so. And they'll come after your sponsors and they'll come after the people that want to partner with you because they want to serve products to your audience who are also Americans and human beings and allowed to have their opinions. Not in today's America. Corporations are decidedly on the left. Sponsors are overwhelmingly terrified of the boycotts that will come, not from somebody truly saying anything egregious or that we would all agree is wrong, just fighting back. And think of the ripple effect that has the message. Why has the left been able why has the left been able to take over Hollywood and the academy and journalism, college campuses, and now corporate boardrooms with all the diversity educators and diversity and inclusion mantra that is rammed down everybody's throats on the first day of their new job? You better not mess with the diversity educators. You better not mess with uh, the HR department, folks, because, whoo, ruthless. They got powers like the Stasi in major corporations now. They'll just take you out, ruin your life, and nothing you can do about it. Better not. You better just clap and cheer when they talk about the latest diversity numbers and only let them talk about it. If you bring it up at your company or corporation, you might get fired. But we're told that these are the voices of the powerless all the time. No, no, that's not true. And increasingly, I'm seeing people unwilling to stand up and speak basic truths in the face of this insanity. And where does our country go from there? My friends, I, I can't tell you, but it's not good. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You're sitting now trying to figure out how you're going to stop the protest rather than how you're going to stop the brutality. You're calling your cabinet in trying to figure out how it's going to affect your vote rather than how it's going to affect our lives. You're scheming on how you can spin the story rather than you can achieve justice, wickedness in high places. Wickedness in high places. Who do we, who do we think the Reverend Al, a decades-long con man and uh, noted anti-Semite in his past, somehow always gets left off, you can be an anti-Semite if you're the Reverend Al and get TV shows and be invited to give the eulogy at a funeral like this. But, uh, you know, because the, the left makes up the rules as they go along, as long as it increases their overall power. There's no standard. There's no morality. There's no ethics that cannot be bent. that cannot be abused. that cannot be cast aside. They do it all the time. But no one's trying to stop the protests. I mean, even in that one little soundbite. We're not trying to stop the protests. We're trying to stop the riots and the looting that the left and the Democrats, because that's who's behind this, keeps gaslighting us with, oh, it's not really happening. Yes, it is. It is really happening. We're not going to I'm not going to relent on this. I'm not going to pretend that we haven't been through the nightmare that we have because of these lunatics, also known as Democrats. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's dig into defunding the police a little bit more, shall we? Because the, the left has had to adjust the talking points a bit on this one. Uh, perhaps first and foremost, because well, well, first and foremost, because it's crazy, but also Joe Biden is out there saying that he does not. And this is the Democrats great hope for fixing this country and fixing the future. And he's going to make everything better. Joe Biden's saying, no, I'm, I'm not on board. I'm not on board for this. Some demonstrators added equals defund the police. Do you support defunding the police? No, I don't support defunding the police. I support conditioning federal aid to police based on whether or not they meet certain basic standards of decency and honorableness and, in fact, are able to demonstrate they can protect the community and everybody in the community. Basic standards of decency and honorableness. So so I want to be very clear here. Here's the Democrat nominee for the presidency, this, this c- confused buffoon that is being propped up by the Democrat left just so he can be the puppet that they will be able to pull the strings on once he does, in fact, become the president, if he does, in fact, become the president of the United States. And he's saying that they have to, he's going to withdraw federal funds unless they meet standards of decency. So are, are, law, are cops not meeting standards of decency right now nationwide? Is, is, is that really, is it a systemic problem? Right? Is it a systemic issue? I, I would I would want to know. I'm I'm really curious how they could prove that is the case. And they should have to prove it's the case if they're going to now make proclamations like this. So they're not meeting standards of decency in law for in, in uh, law enforcement across the country, local police, state police. That's quite that's quite an allegation. That's quite a charge. This is all just giving uh, a slightly less aggressive, a slightly less aggressive version of what we're hearing from the left, but Biden knows that he's going to have to he's going to have to look some normal people in the eye who see the world as it is of all races, creeds and colors. He's going to look black, white, you know, Asian Americans, Latino Americans to try to get uh, to try to vote for him this fall. And he's going to look all those people in the eye, including a whole lot of people from all those different backgrounds who just want safety on the streets, who like their cops who know they do a good job, and he's going to have to tell them, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be fair. I'll be fair to the police. Remember, we had Barack Obama's president for eight years, and we had the Cambridge police acted stupidly. Remember that? Uh, really? And then there was the beer summit because Barack Obama, you know, he opened his mouth on that issue without really understanding the full facts of the situation, right? I mean, the cops who showed up there, they weren't the bad guys. Someone said that someone called the cops and said they think that someone's trying to break into a house. They show up. So they say, hey, what's going on? And the guy becomes indignant and he's a Harvard professor. OK, well, it's not the cop's fault. Right. I mean, this anyway. It, it, but Barack Obama, clearly, in order to placate the left wing base, was always uh, was always taking a, a an initial position of the cops are a problem. Our cops are a problem in this country. Systemic racism through law enforcement is a problem. Therefore, cops are the instruments of that systemic racism. And notice it didn't. Did it get markedly better after having Obama as the commander in chief for eight years and having Attorney General Eric Holder on the Justice Department and then Loretta Lynch? Did law enforcement really improve? No, there were riots. 
in Ferguson and in Baltimore and, and other places across the country. There were these cases that would that would come up that that, you know, the whole nation would have to focus on one incident with one cop in one place in one time uh, killing somebody. And that was then that was the dominant news story. And CNN would do all of the just the the constant projection of of the politics of grievance and trying to divide us more and more by race. Okay, well, let's now have a conversation about what what's really supposed to happen and what they really think of law enforcement. Let's have a conversation about what's supposed and, and I mean a conversation, not not sit and take a lecture from the other side, which is what you tend to have happen in these circumstances. So then that, that brings me to how, how do cops feel right now? If you're a law enforcement officer and you see what's going on across the country, you see how all these, these cowardly journalists, one after another, just fall in line with the dominant narrative, which is that of the seven or 800,000 sworn law enforcement officers across the country, cops of one kind or another, uh, that of that number, there are so many who are racists. Even if they don't know they're racist, there are so many um, that we have to do a dramatic overhaul of the criminal justice system and of policing. That's, that's calling out our cops who are doing a tough job and doing it very well day in and day out. But some officers have decided they've had enough of this. They they think that it's it's gone too far. The New York uh, Police Department's union uh, president has decided to speak out about this. And, and this this went a bit viral yesterday. People really felt like he's speaking for a lot of cops. Again, New York has a very diverse police department. I mean, there's a lot of ethnic diversity among New York cops. So you'd think the left would 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 hold up the NYPD as OK. They're they're doing a lot of these diversity and inclusion things that the left is always saying we need to have and that they reflect the communities that they're policing and all this other stuff. And here's how some of the cops, I haven't talked to a cop who doesn't feel this way in New York, but here's at least how one cop speaking for many of them feels right now. Mark, play clip four. Everybody's trying to shame us into being embarrassed about our profession. But you know what? This isn't stained by someone in Minneapolis. It's still got a shine on it. And so do theirs. So do theirs. Stop treating us like animals and thugs and start treating us with some respect. We don't condone Minneapolis. We roundly reject what he did as disgusting. It's disgusting. It's not what we do. It's not what police officers do. Our legislators abandoned us. The press is vilifying us. Well, you know what, guys? I'm proud to be a cop. And I'm going to continue to be proud to be a cop. Until the day I retire. Some people, I think, finally feel like they're able to at least say that much, that we are proud of our cops. You know, think about this in in other contexts. United States military. It's very difficult to make the case that you're a patriot and that you really care about your fellow Americans if you don't support our, our military, our armed services. You don't support the people. And I'm not saying that means you agree with every decision. I mean, I disagree with some of the decisions the military hierarchy has made but if you don't if you don't really have admiration and respect for our troops people rightly would ask well are you really a patriot these people are the reason that we can even have a country and live in this incredibly free and prosperous country those who serve in uniform 
And so let's remember that there are, within the United States military, there are people who sometimes uh, cross the line. There are people who kill civilians. There are people who act in really unethical in a really unethical manner. And they are subject to UCMJ and they are, are punished. And people don't then say, well, you know, our, our troops are, are systemically evil because that would be insane, right? It's very, very rare. Given what our soldiers have been asked to do in war zones, given what our airmen and, and all of our armed services warriors all across the board of the military, given what they have been asked to do, they have an incredible record of both success on the battlefield, but also being moral in the conduct of war and reflecting the best of this country. That's not the same thing as saying that everything they do, everything that everyone does is great and fine. And there's of course not. That's why there is UCMJ. That's why there are court martials and people go to Leavenworth for years, for decades, if need be, if their conduct deserves it. But you wouldn't get away with saying at least I I don't not not yet. Well, because, you know, you, you wouldn't point to one incident and say, well, because this happened in this one place involving one soldier or a few soldiers, we got to rethink. The, I mean, the whole military is just full of people. No, of course not. Well, how is that really different from what we see here with our cops who are overwhelmed? I mean, not nine unarmed African-Americans were killed by police in the entire United States in 2019. I mean, that if that's not a small number to describe uh, tens of millions or to, when you're talking about tens of millions of arrests that happen every year. What is a small? Is, is, are we waiting until the number is zero? Which means of the almost a million cops in the country, not one of them can cross the line, make a mistake, be, be a bad guy without all cops being called bad guys. This is what this is what they're doing. I mean, this is the this is the way the conversation is unfolding right now. I mean, you know, you have uh, George Floyd's brother, Terrence Floyd, who now look, he just lost his brother. He's grieving. I understand. But he is also entering into the national public conversation here to push for police reform. And here's what he had to say. Play clip five. I really love y'all for giving my brother this much support. We have good police. We have bad police. You can't sort them out. Um, no, I think that that's un- I mean, look, he's he's allowed to have his opinion, but I'm also allowed to have mine. I think that's very clearly not true. Derek Chauvin is facing probably the rest of his life or close to it in prison. So we are. And the three other officers with him are charged with accessory to murder. So we do, in fact, sort out the good cops from the bad cops. That is happening right now. So why is that statement supposed to be left by the rest of us, not just unchallenged, but revered? We, should, we, are, we are to accept it. And also the claim that we're going to stop everybody from being afraid of the police. Look at the polling. Just go around and ask somebody, are you afraid in America? Are you walking around afraid of cops every day? Uh, th- that would be for 99% plus of Americans an irrational fear, right? Unless you are engaged in criminal conduct to be afraid of the cops day to day does not make 
sense. It, it's not it's not reasonable. It's not rational. But are we are we ever assume that that's true for a second? Are people ever going to be able to be not afraid of of cops? They're rioting and, and attacking police in the U.K. They're they're rioting and marching in Amsterdam. So, I mean, which have very different police civilian relationships and procedures than we do. And so what do we really think is is an acceptable end goal here? My friends, ultimately, this is it's a mobilization for left wing power. And I will get to how defund the police very quickly transitions into enlarging the state and uh, enlarging the sectors of socialism that we already have in this country. But first, there's some interesting backstory that's come to light. Uh, since we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about the George Floyd case involving the officer who former officer now and accused murderer who was kneeling on his neck. I'll get to that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What kind of history? They bumped heads. How? It has a lot to do with with. Uh, Derek being uh, extremely aggressive within the club with some of the Patriots, which which is which was an issue. Is there any doubt in your mind that Derek Chauvin knew George Floyd? No, he knew him. How well? We interfaced with officers. How well did he know him? I would say pretty well. I thought this was really interesting. This was a CBS News report from a co-worker at a Minneapolis club where Derek Chauvin and George Floyd had both been involved in working security. And the claim here is that they didn't like each other, that they had had they had, had problems in the past, that they definitely. I mean, so if, if this is assuming this report is accurate and it comes from CBS News, what you have here are two individuals who may have had, you know, outstanding well, animosity toward each other. And then Officer Chauvin may have at the opportunity, you know, may have taken the opportunity in a sense to use his law enforcement power to settle a personal score. Now, that doesn't that doesn't change that it's murder. It doesn't change that it's it's horrible what he did to this individual. It doesn't change that at all. But it, it is noteworthy because we're talking about this as if it's a the, the, the initial uh, the initial narrative is that this was just a, a white cop interacting with a black civilian and that this just happens and that it happens far too frequently. And, and this was the storyline the first day. Well, it still looks like murder. And Officer Chauvin, the charges wouldn't change here. In fact, you might even argue that they could escalate that the escalated charge is on even firmer ground, considering that he might have seen. Uh, he might have seen George Floyd get, trying to pass a, a the, the alleged crime here is passing, I think, a fake $20 bill. And they, the store called the cops. And Chauvin might have been like, I really don't like this guy and I'm really going to show him. And he killed him. That's a that's a big piece. no matter what you think about about any of the, you know, the, the protest movement, everything. Just just stay with me here on the case for a moment. That's a. That's a big addition to all of this and, and are thinking about all of this and and what might have been Chauvin's real motivations, because if this wasn't if this wasn't just a cop who 
saw a, a black man and, and, and had this, this racist impulse to use excessive force against him. And that's really the, that's the initial story that we've all read and been told. If this is a guy who, by the way, might still be racist. I'm not saying he's not. But if this is a guy who had a personal animosity against this individual. And perhaps that wraps in with his, uh, his racism or, or his feelings about, you know, interactions as a cop with African-Americans. But it, it's just, it's noteworthy. It's noteworthy that here you have an individual who may be really disliked George Floyd. And then when he had his power as a cop, he decided he was going to abuse it. But that's different from the system being, you know, that's different from the system being the issue here. That's even more clearly an individual, perhaps acting on racist impulses, but an individual who saw this and it it essentially set him, you know, it, it set him off in a way where he decided that he was going to use the opportunity to, I don't, I, and again, this might be going even further than this report, but to settle a score or to, you know, to, to just basically get, get at this guy that he didn't like on a personal level. That is a shift from just cop meets random person that he's interacting with who is black and, and acts on this racist impulse, which is, I think it's fair to say, the way the story has been presented at this point. This seems more like, based on this story, um, cop who had a pre-existing... Uh, problem with this particular guy and then engage in the excessive force and the alleged murder here uh, that has created all this uh, protest and and national conversation. So just updating the story. And as we have more on this, I'll I'll bring it to your attention. But I did think that this was very interesting that they they definitely, according to this witness who would know, they definitely knew each other and they definitely didn't like each other. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I came outside, I sat down with the protest, and they called me up and and asked me if I was willing, right there, to commit to getting rid of the police. And I was honest. You know, if we're talking about massive cultural shift in the way our police department does business, I'm on board. If we're talking about major structural reform that pushes back on the horrid nature of how our police departments have treated black and brown communities, I am fully on board. Uh, But if we're talking about abolishing the entire police department, I was honest. That's not where I am. So concepts, that was the Minneapolis mayor there who has taken a break from crying uh, profusely at the casket of George Floyd. I, I just I'm, look, I'm sorry, that kind of performative emotional theatrics from a politician, just like Pelosi and all the rest of them taking a knee uh, with the traditional African print scarves around their necks. You know, I mean, this just the stuff that you're seeing going on. It's just all so obvious and and I think, you know, under normal circumstances, and if people were a little bit less crazed than they are right now, everyone would recognize this as as somewhat cynical and and really exploitative for these politicians to be doing this stuff. Uh, But at least the Minneapolis mayor is like, okay, I mean, we're not really like, I I, let me talk to you about how much I love social justice and we're going to do all these things. It's going to be great. But we're not really going to defund the cops, right? I mean, come on. Like, that's that's not really going to happen, is it? Well, here's what this will turn into. 
And it is a it is a, a Mott and Bailey argument, right? The the Mott and Bailey is a reference to the medieval uh, medieval fortified position. It's kind of like a castle, but it's not really necessarily a castle. It's usually the Mott was a a raised area with a a fence around it, a protective fence, and it could be where you know some of the villagers live and so forth. And then the Bailey was the elevated, even higher area that was the retreat. It was almost like the keep in a castle formation. And a Mott and Bailey argument is. You know, you say, OK, um, I want you to if you're a, if you're in high school, make this really easy. And you're in the student council. You say, I want you to get rid of all homework. And also we want to be able to not wear ties on Friday. You know, and you go, OK, well, no, you're not going to get rid of all homework. But OK, we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of ties on Friday. And you go, ah, <laughs> so that's reasonable. And you get what you want because that position and by that is a reasonable position. Right. But. You could do something a little bit more extreme. Okay, well, we'll get rid of all homework, but also everybody gets at least a B. Well, we won't do the all homework thing, but I guess we can do everybody gets a B if you show up for class. So what we have with defund the police is just a version of that. It's not really defund the police. That's what we get everybody talking about. It's it's let's say that so we get all this attention and then we'll move back away from it. But really what it also opens up is an opportunity, a real, a real window for expanding the state and for socialism. And you might say, oh, socialism, Buck. Oh, why is it always about socialism? Well, we already have sectors of socialism in America. In fact, the public school system itself is a sector. It's educational socialism. I mean, these things exist. Uh, we are not a, a, an entirely socialist state. We don't have... Uh, we don't have the government controlling the means of production and the distribution of goods, but... In some areas we do, and in some ways we do. And if you defund the police, here's how this plays out. If you have the more reasonable version of defund the police happening in cities across the country, and the, and the activists, they get to shout the things that make them feel brave and virtuous and good, and then at the end of the day, they get to say, well, we help Pelosi and Schumer and the Democrats move the football downfield, so clearly we're, we're worthwhile and we're getting what we want here. But what, what defund the police turns into is, OK, there'll be a movement now. You're already seeing this in New York where it's happening. There'll be a movement away from funding the police at the current level. And they'll, they'll take that money and they'll give it to social justice causes. They'll give it to community organizers. And then there'll be an expectation that that funding will continue because, oh, my gosh, you can't cut, you know, after school programs and you can't cut. You know, social workers and social services and these kinds of things. But then when the crime rises, you know what ends up happening? Then a reasonable response to that will be, hey, uh, we need more money for cops. Things have gotten a little out of control here. And so then it's just raise taxes and spend more money, spend more of the public money on this. And you have yet again more redistribution of wealth going through the system because you're going to end up getting back to funding it might take a while and there'll be a lot of people who will get raped and murdered and and assaulted and robbed and you know there's that cost that will be forgotten about by the left as quickly as it happens uh but but beyond that everyone will realize that the reasonable position will be we need more law enforcement to get back to what used to be the very low numbers of crime relatively speaking that we had before we started doing this how do you do that that's right raise taxes more money comes out of the economy and goes to this and no one's really going to be looking uh, at the social programs that have had the increase in funding. No one's really going to say, oh, well, now we're going to get rid of all these 
uh, different you know, early interventions, all these things that major cities keep doing and that do nothing that they can point to as actually working. Right? And, and how, how do you even know? How can you even really, really tell? Um, but that's what that's how I think this becomes. Oh, it really becomes a win win for the left, even if they reduce funding for police departments and, and divert those funds. Uh, they get to claim victory. They get to put money in the hands of community organizers that are going to help turn out the vote for Democrats. It's, look at what happens with the public school system. The public school, school system, which is a sector of socialism, is run for the benefit, not of the children that are in it, but for the adults who are paid by it. And what they will keep saying, and there was some tweet about how we talk about defunding the police, but we've been defunding education for decades. I mean, it's just not true. I mean, education funding, I mean, if you look at a graph of it, it just keeps going up and up and up and up. We're spending more money on education all the time, and we're not getting better outcomes. Outcomes are not improving. Test results, not improving. But more money. You need more money. Gotta have more money. And so then, uh, then we go to, okay, where does that money come from? And it's going to be taxing the productive class, people who work, taking more of their earnings. And it will also be for homeowners, uh, people that, depending on where you are, this is, this is how they, they get funding for the school system. As you know, for most of you, it's through your property taxes is how they're funding the school system. And they're going to raise property taxes and put more money into the school system. Right? So they, they, have a bad, they have a bad school system that spends too much money, then turns around and says, well, we're failing, so we need more of your money. And then they put more of that money in the school system, and the cycle continues, and the people that are getting the money mobilize to make sure that the people that are in charge keep that system going. This is how the Democrat power system. This is why teachers unions are so important in the Democratic Party and why when they start talking about public sector unions, they get very uneasy because they don't want anyone to pay attention to only the cops union has to get attention, right? Not the not teachers unions. And they also don't want to talk about budget cuts. They never want to cut budgets. They always want to take money from people and give it to other people. That is that is the redistribution of wealth that is central to the Democrats plans here. So so Jacob Frey, the uh, mayor of Minneapolis, here saying he won't abolish police departments. Well, he knows that they just got to keep the police department somewhat in place. They can move a whole lot of funding to other causes and then take a bow for it. Say, look at how great we are. And if things start to go badly, they'll just say, well, we're going to raise the property taxes and put more or we'll demand federal money. In a lot of cities right now, this is this is a debate that we know has been going on for weeks. They're going to say, oh, it's because of COVID-19 that we can't pay our bills as a city. So give us more money. And what's that? That's just money. I was going to say it's coming from taxpayers. It's really coming from your children and your children's children in their, a, a, by adding to the national debt, which is putting downward pressure on their uh, quality of life, their wealth, their ability to earn the same kind of living that you have. So. This is how the system actually plays out. People I know don't really want to they don't want to hear this. They want to think that there's some way to make all of this so much better. Uh, Producer Mark, where is that that AOC clip that I sent you where when she's asked about this, she just goes off and starts babbling? Is that is that clip two? No, no, that's not clip two. That must be clip three. Right. I believe so. Let's play clip three. Why is it necessary to take the money from the police? I mean, I understand your argument, the argument you're making about expanding social services, investing in social services. But the research does show that more police on the street means less crime. 
Well, I think there's uh, one question that, that is interesting here is that um, when it comes to funds, it's not always just about the number of officers in the street. It's about these police precincts that have tanks, that have military weaponry, and frankly have a degree of um, that have a degree of of, of material resources and warlike um, warlike weaponry that people ask, why does a, a local police precinct have this in the first place? And the other question here too is, I think, and I think it's a valid question for people to ask. What should be our number one budget priority at all? Does any agency uh, deserve to be funded more than almost all the others for healthcare, housing, and youth combined? Oh, okay. So now we can talk about a pol- now we can talk about too much spending on a government agency when it's convenient for the libs. I notice how she completely evaded. I mean, Stefan Stephanopoulos here asks her a very straightforward question that all the research, and this is true, more cops, less crime. Very straightforward. So how is it going to help in these communities to pull back on funding when criminality is still a major issue in cities, in, in a lot of cities across the country? Not, not so much in all cities, but a lot of them. And, and she just j- jumps the whole, you know, she just jumps uh, into a whole other conversation about, oh, but what about the tanks and yeah, there's, like, guys that have, like, the scary, like, big guns and, like, the big, like, vroom-vroom machines that, like, drive up with all the scary-looking, like, tank stuff. And you're just like, well, what does this have to do with anything? We're asking, okay, you're talking about cutting funding for police. Are, are you only going to cut funding for that? That's military surplus. I, I, she doesn't even really know this, and a lot of this is just given from the military to cops to try to help keep them safe. Whether they need it or not, legitimate conversation. Some police forces do seem to be overly militarized, but... A lot of that is actually just coming to them, either from from federal grants or directly from uh, military surplus. I, I just she doesn't he has no idea about any of this stuff. But I, I would want to know what about his question? How about we actually deal with this question? How does it help communities when policing more police means less crime? Why does cutting back on their budget make things better for that community? I just don't have like a like an answer. She reminds me a little bit of. You know, when you were in like poli sci class back in the day, those of you that studied that or whatever, any 101 intro level class. And in some some professors like to do this thing where they'll just ask a question, you know, you, sir, or you, madam, you know, they'll ask a question. And there was always that student. Usually there were a few of them in the class who, when they get called on, you know, tell me from from what we read last last night about, you know, Smith v. Smitherson. What do you think the, uh, the, the final dispensation of that case should have been, you know? And the person goes, well, yeah, like, I totally, like, read the Smith case and feel like, you know, it was really in-depth and articulated, like, a lot of the issues that... And, we're, and you're all sitting there kind of slapping, your, slapping yourself in the face going, oh, my gosh, it's embarrassing. And that person actually thinks they're doing a good job as they do it. That's like AOC with a lot of things. That's pretty much what you get when you ask a real question just sort of spirals off into nonsense. Well, yeah, like, I just think that, like, let's just, like, talk about this thing that's, like, so for real. And, oof. Oh, man. Um, there you have it. Doesn't answer the question because they don't have an answer. It's not going to make people better off, in, particularly in minority communities that often in cities have higher levels of crime. Just stats, numbers, this is true. It's not going to help them to have fewer cops on the street. It's not going to make them safer. So why do that? Yeah, because there's like tanks and like the scary cop stuff that goes on. Mm -mm, Not a good enough answer, but 
Did Stephanopoulos jump in there? Did he interrupt her? Of course he doesn't interrupt her. Always remember this. The anchors interrupt to show the audience that they disagree and don't like this person. It's, it's a very important little trick when you're watching at home. When the anchor interrupts somebody in a way that's aggressive and meant to derail them, it's their way of still being a journalist, but showing the audience that they don't like the person. Happened to me at CNN. I used to joke around. I'd go on Twitter, watch. They'll, they'll ask me, the anchor will ask me a, a, an unfair question, will interrupt me as I'm trying to answer it within 15 seconds. And then the other person, the Democrat, they're both Democrats, of course, but the other person will start will start trying to talk and the anchor will shift and let that person go uninterrupted. And if I try to jump in, they'll say, no, 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 Buck, the other person's talking now. And then maybe they'll just cut to commercial. And then, oh, oh there you had your segment. You're done. The, that's the classic, the CNN ambush, I used to call it. They did it all the time. He didn't do that to AOC. That's for that's for darn sure. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, we got an update for you on the General Flynn case. Oh, my. This should be the thing formerly known as the General Flynn case because it should be over. But it's not. Even with all the information we have now, even with all the, the clarity on the ambush on the politicized hunt for Flynn that was underway by the FBI and the DOJ, by the Obama appointees therein, uh, and, and also senior members of those institutions who are bureaucrat deep staters. Now we have this bizarre situation where Judge Sullivan has asked for another former judge to come in to file an amicus brief. This judge, John Gleason, and... Gleason says the DOJ Flynn dismissal is pretextual and a gross abuse of prosecutorial power, which, of course, is what Judge Sullivan wanted here. And then he says Gleason recommends that Sullivan consider the reversal of the plea. And this is from a Mr. Technofog on Twitter who does very good legal stuff. Gleason recommends that Sullivan consider the reversal of the plea be considered in fashioning the appropriate sentence for the false statement offense, as in he should be punished even more for trying to take away his plea. Sullivan looks like he wants to go down with the ship here. Sullivan looks like he's going to just say, I don't care that the federal government dropped the case and says it should never have been brought. I'm going to sentence this guy anyway, forcing most likely a presidential pardon or waiting for a court of appeals to come along and, and overturn Sullivan, as will very likely happen. Although all you need is enough, enough Obama judges in the D.C. Circuit and Obama appointee judges might just decide, nope, they're going to they're going to let this stand. It might go all the way to the Supreme Court. Who knows? Uh, this is an appalling abuse of justice. And it shows that if you're a conservative, if you're on the right, you cannot trust in political cases of any kind. You cannot trust our justice system. You cannot even trust our judges. This is grotesque. It's wrong. But I'm glad that people are seeing this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our buddy David Harsanyi is back in the house to talk to us about all the crazy goings on across the country. He's got a piece up on National Review where he's a senior writer. Welcome to America's Cultural Revolution. Mr. Harsanyi, good to have you, sir. 
It's always good to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess the revolution is being televised and it is certainly being talked about a lot. Why do you view this as, as a cultural revolution and what do you view as the aims of it as we're seeing this unfold? Well, if you read a book on the on Mao's, you know, the Chinese cultural revolution, uh, I'm not saying this is the same thing. Obviously, there is uh, there is no real you know, violence and the state is not compelling you to do these things. But the tactics and the aims in many ways uh, are parallel and, 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 and feel similar. So I think the aims are to to uh, to try and embarrass and ruin and drag people to, you know, for the public tribunals for saying and thinking things that the uh, that the people who run our institutions are, you know, dislike or, or are afraid of. And it's only getting worse and worse, as we saw with the New York Times and, and the slew of, uh, of firings and of people who have said things in the past that, uh, that upsets woke progressives. I think it's just a dangerous way to view speech where we can't have debate, we can't be critical of certain people and institutions and movements. It's just not healthy for a society. And David, I, I think that there's, uh, there's a, a clear, well, let's say, constantly moving baseline of what is acceptable. And, it's, and it, we, we often talk about what is being weaponized, but you'll, you'll have someone... You know, for, I mean, here, here's an example. There was a, you know, a writer recently, I think it was a writer for like a cooking magazine who they discovered a photo of, I don't know if it was him or her now, I can't even remember. There's so many people getting canceled, it's tough to keep up. But a photo of like an offensive costume from many, many years ago. And then that writer gets fired and then also is saying that, I think it was a him actually, you know, he didn't do, um, you know, he didn't do enough to feel like he was being inclusive and, and so on and so forth. And I, I just look at this and say, well, but Justin Trudeau and, and Northam in Virginia, and, and it feels like not only are we living under this, this tyrannical approach to whatever the left decides at any point in time is the baseline, or rather are the rules, the rules are completely applied differently depending on who you are, right? It's not just that the, here are the rules, it's, well, are you, are you somebody that we care enough about on the left that we're going to resurrect or, or really just keep your career going? Yeah, that's right, but I think they'll go come for those people as well at some point, and uh, it's like the person you're speaking about is the was the editor of Bon Appetit magazine, yes. and uh, you know he lost his job and then sort of you know and this feels very struggle session e you know went in front of everyone and said you know I didn't do enough to try to be inclusive I didn't you know do this I didn't do that another editor who was fired I forget the name of the magazine says. Some was fired for racial aggressions. It even has sort of a mild communist kind of feel, you know, feel to it as far as the language goes. Um, I'm not saying there aren't some racists around, but I, I bet you that the editor of Bon Appetit probably is not a ra you know, raging racist. And uh, he had a dumb costume on. And what really bothers me about this stuff is that none of his friends, not none of his, the owner of that magazine or the other editors stood up, stand up for them. They just joined the mob. Uh, you know, and act as if, you know, these are horrible people, racist people, people who are harming society, which is just absurd for the most part. I want to go back to another thing you said about racism. And the problem with this whole movement is that there are real racists in this country and it, it is a problem, but the definition of racism continues to expand and expand and expand. 
you know, people, if I say I don't want to kneel because I don't want to disrespect the flag, now I'm a racist too, even though the, what I'm saying has zero to do with the word racism or my position is zero to do with anything having to do with racism. I refuse to take uh, uh, responsibility for, for racist because I'm not one and I've, I have nothing to do with cops who hurt black uh, men or shoot them or kill them in any way. I, I abhor that. And there's no reason for me to take collective responsibility for that. But now that too is racism. You and have it's a, expanded. You have a, a, and we're talking about David Harsani. He's got a great piece. Welcome to America's Cultural Revolution up in National Review right now. You write that you may also have noticed another progressive slogan gaining popularity these days. Silence is violence. It's no longer enough not to peddle wrong think in the op-ed pages of the local paper, but now you must also actively champion woke progressive positions or you too are tacitly engaged in violence and racism. This is a neat trick to speak out in the wrong way as violence, not to speak out as violence, not to speak out in the way progressives dictate as violence. Uh, yeah, this is what I mean by the, the rules are really almost indecipherable, except do as I say. I mean, that's really the only rule that, that you get you get from the left. And it seems like this is something that anybody who values free expression or ideas, including in the media, would recognize right away. But David, the fear and people are everyone's just hiding in cowardice. No, no one will speak the truth about this. I mean, I shouldn't say no one. Very few people. Listen, I'm lucky. I, I do something for a career where I'm based, you know, protected to some extent from, you know, because I work for a conservative journal. Um, and, you know, you, you're protected to some extent and we speak out for a living. But imagine if you're just a business owner, uh, you must be terrified. If you if you spoke out in the wrong way and upset the right people, they would come for you. They would get you fired. They would boycott your business. And that's what they do. They terrorize. No one wants to be called a racist. Even, uh, you know, even racists don't. But but people who aren't racist have no way to fight back against that claim. If you call someone a racist, there's really nothing they can say to uh, to disprove something that that they aren't. So it's, it's it's a way to terrorize people. And it also seems like there's a clear progression here that the progressives push us all through. And that is at first it's just tolerate an idea and then it's, you know, and, and then it's you, you have to adopt the idea and then you have to celebrate the idea. You know, there's always it starts off with, you know, well, don't you shouldn't you be OK with people kneeling during the national anthem? Shouldn't everyone be allowed their free expression to why don't you, you know, uh, say that you're in favor of that? That seems strange to us, too. You better do this. You better say kneeling is good during the anthem or else. And it seems like we run through this time and again. Well, as I wrote uh, in another piece, Essie Cup um, said something like, and it's not, she's not the only one, but she was, you know, this is like a slogan I hear that you can either kneel in front of the flag or you can kneel on the back of George Floyd. You know, those are the two choices. Well, I think there are other choices. I think that's a false choice. And, and um, uh, I don't. I'm not going to do anything that disrespects the flag because I don't think this is a, a racist country. I don't think the in, inherent idea, the original idea of the founding is racist. I think that there were flawed men and we're imperfect people, but I think we strive to be better. And I'm not going to kneel in front of the flag uh, and no one can make me. And I'm not going to kneel in front of some other person simply because I have one color and they have another and wash their feet. I find that un-American and uh, embarrassing and pathetic. So I'm not going to do that either. Do you, and, think, that uh, be, do you think that there'll be a real a real uh, a backlash that will come at some point to I mean, it seems like it seems to me 
like the the lockdown left and and the the statists and the progressives and the leftists and the social justice warriors have just been going all out now for a while. And there's a lot of a lot of quiet on on the right from this. You know, I, I don't see uh, that that same fire in the belly from Trump supporters and just from people on the right in general to push back against this. It seems like we've all been a bit cowed. Is that just because I'm here in New York and I am surrounded by lunatics? Or are you seeing that, too, just as a general theme across the country right now? Are you, are you speaking about the Black Lives Matter stuff or more of the cultural? All, just you know, like, to push back? There, where, I'm speaking about all of it, David. Where are the protests against? Well, I know the lockdown it was because of COVID-19 and you were risking people. But where are the protests against it now? You know, where where is the counter movement, the counter narrative to this? It feels like we all just sort of sit around assuming that this will pass. I'm not sure that this moment will pass. I'm not sure that the emboldened left that's now justifying, actually actively justifying in some cases, rioting as a necessary response to oppression or saying that they need to defund police. I mean, the insanity that we're seeing, I feel like conservatives take this, you know, turtle retreating into the shell approach. I don't think that's going to work this time. So I just mean that in, in the most general terms for the politics of this country for the last three months or so. Uh, I have uh, conflicting feelings about all that. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think there is typically a backlash. I mean, the pendulum goes that way, and I think that we can expect some of that. Uh, but I, I think it's more complicated in the sense that the Black Lives Matter, lowercase, right? Not Black Lives Matter movement that encompasses all kind of crazy left-wing causes. I want nothing to do with it that I want nothing to do with and many conservatives want nothing to do with. Black Lives Matter is a, is a, um, is a, an idea all of us embrace, right? We don't, we want this yeah, country well, of to course. be fairer and more equal. Yeah. So it's complicated for someone to just say, for, I think they're terrorized by the idea that if they, they're critical, they're going to be called racist. So that's why they right. turtle. But I also think that, that there are reasons that they want to, there are parts of the things that things that want to support it within that movement, you know, and I have ideas about that as well. But it's very hard to have a debate about that. So, but no one wants to be seen as racist either. So it creates this complicated idea. Like I, I saw the Republicans have a police bill, but you know, if it's not enough, they'll just be called racist. So it becomes very difficult to, to, to have any kind of open debate when you're not allowed to be at all critical of a movement. So, but yeah, I mean, there could be a backlash. I think the backlash wouldn't be in, in mar- counter marches or anything like that. I think it would be in the voting booth, right? You'd have people who support law and order candidates who, who like candidates who don't cow. And, and that, that's what would happen. All right, well, you see, I mean, jo- Joe Biden's out there saying he does not support defunding the police. So clearly that's just him looking at November and thinking, I can't get away with being completely insane quite yet. I am. I do wonder. I think polls do not exact. I'm not like a poll truther, but I don't think polls reflect these sorts of moments very well. In the sense that you have um, someone asking you, "Do you think Black Lives Matter?" You know, you're going to say, "No, no, no, I do not." So I don't know. Do you want to defund the police? Is obviously something I think no, not a lot of people support. Funnily enough, I'm not that offended by uh, by take in some areas having less of a police force and more of different kinds of things going on. But obviously, defund the police in Seattle and in uh, you know Berkeley and other places like that means get rid of the cops. And I, that idea is something that is. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't think most voters would sign on to. All right, David Harsani, everybody, National Review. Check him out. Got a piece on the Cultural Revolution 
that he is saying America is in the midst of. David, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, man. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Millions of people are still unemployed. To see the president crowing over a 13% unemployment rate is, uh, are we in Alice in Wonderland? Is that anything to crow about? Millions of people are unemployed, so we need to continue to support our workers. Their unemployment is going to run out. We need to support small businesses. Their, um, their PPP is going to come to an end, and they're not all going to be reopening as though nothing has happened. Now, look, I've said it before. You can make a strong case that Maisie Hirono is is the dumbest member of the United States Senate, just based on public pronouncements, what she says and what she says uh, on a regular basis in front of TV cameras. Now, now there are other people. There are other contenders for sure. Um, But I mean, Hirono is certainly very high up on the list of people that you say, wow, I can't believe this person is elected to what's supposed to be the most uh, powerful and influential legislative body in the world. Uh, but here she is misrepresenting, of course, Trump on the economy. No one thinks that 13 percent unemployment is great. What Trump is saying is we are turning this around after being hit by the disaster of COVID-19. And we should be pleased with that progress. Democrats are going to be fighting against that at every step of the way. You have to ask yourself this. Would the Democrats, if they were allowed to, would the Democrats just keep the country as shut down as they could in as many places as they could with people receiving money from the government until the election? I think the answer is most certainly yes. What complicates that for them, though, is that they can't do this now without intelligent human beings looking at what they're doing and looking at what their goals are and say, one, this is very obviously political, but also because of the support for these enormous marches all over the country, because that has been going on, we know that they don't really think that the shutdowns are still saving lives, that that social distancing is still a necessity to keep people alive. So there there really aren't that many options here. They may engage in what will be one of the most aggressive gaslighting campaigns in all history, uh, because they may say that we have to go back into lockdown, even after supporting massive marches that based on what we what they've been telling us about the necessity of social distancing would have been responsible for spreading this virus uh, quite far uh, to, a, to a whole lot of people who might who might not have otherwise gotten it. You'll also note that the the media's interest in this story is at a, at a point when truth and more information and oh, here we go. Virus spike for summer. This is the Drudge Report right now. Virus spike for summer. Fauci not close to over. Um, and now now people are starting to say, wait a second. It's getting too hot for masks. It's absolutely suffocating. Who was telling you that all along? Oh, yeah, wearing a mask when it's, you know, 50 degrees outside. You're all bundled up. That's one thing. Wearing a mask when it's 85 and humid. Going to wear a mask all the time? Really? All of a sudden, people are going to realize, oh, wait, there's a cost-benefit analysis to this. People are going to realize that, you know, do do you want to pass out, maybe hit your head on the concrete, on the sidewalk, because you're wearing a mask in public? It can happen. You know, how many people are going to be forced to have 
real phys- uh, physical discomfort and even be in physical duress uh, because of this stupid mask wearing that we're being told to do outdoors, outdoors. I love this too. This is why now, now they'll never relent on the mask thing though, because we've had the mass gatherings because we've been through that now with the black lives matter protests and Antifa and all this stuff that's been happening. They can't, uh, they can't say that masks aren't necessary outdoors because the only fallback they have for the clear eradication of social distancing is to say, well, the protesters were all wearing masks. Yeah, and Parkers, they don't want you to see who they are in case they start breaking stuff and attacking cops. But a lot of them are just doing it because it's, it's a symbol now as well. And there's, there's all this groupthink around if you're a smart person who believes in science, you'll tell everybody to keep, oh, you'll, you'll wear a mask and you'll keep telling everybody else to wear masks. Uh, Dr. Fauci has said, this is according to the Daily Mail, that coronavirus has become his worst nightmare and it is not close to over yet as infections near 2 million in the U.S. with more than 110,000 dead. Uh, you know, he, he, he's never going to change his tune on this. He's never going to stop saying that this is the most horrible thing imaginable and you all have to listen to him and whatever damage, because at this point the damage done to the economy is so extreme that they're, they're going to tell you the one they had to do this lockdown no matter what the data shows. No matter what we find out about the disease transmission and everything else, on all the numbers are showing us that the lockdown was actually a bad idea. So, but they're never going to admit that. And now going forward, so they can continue to have control and influence and power, they're going to keep telling you, oh my gosh, this was every bit as bad as we thought it was, when that's clearly not true. They didn't run out of ventilators. They didn't run out of hospital beds. Uh, it, it was not more dangerous to people under 50 than the flu uh, you know, there was all and all the, the, the fear mongering around this was just unbelievable. They're not going to change. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Roll call time up in this Freedom Hut. Let's get to it. Uh, Producer Mark, do you have any uh, any ombudsman? penalty box activity when you know about anything you got going on anything that i missed anything that's happening in the world of mark that we should throw into the mix what do you think about uh, our conversation yesterday with our buddy uh from up in boston uh jerry callahan a good yeah. conversation you know you know i always like the sports talk here in the freedom hut what's going on with the baseball thing though oh well i mean you have millionaires and billionaires bickering about how much money they can make and they're gonna ruin the sport Basically, they have no agreement left, uh, no agreement right now. It's very complicated to play a season. The owners want one thing, the players want another thing, and they're trying to figure out the number of games and how much money of prorated salary the players get and all this bickering. And basically, at this point, it's so late, there might not even be a season. Are we still in the era of these mega base, like these mega salaries for baseball players where they're signing $100 million-plus contracts for the top players? Is that still happening, or is that... Yes. I remember hearing about, like, A-Rod back in the day, and these guys would sign, you know, $200 million deal or $150 million deal. Mike Trout got $300 million, I, I think. Okay. He's one of the so best players of all time. Um, so, yes, you have players like Mike Trout who are making that much money, but then you also have these minor league players who are making almost nothing, and a lot of teams are now not paying them or releasing players during this pandemic. 
uh, when there isn't going to be a minor league baseball play- season. So the owners, who are obviously all billionaires, are being very rude to the players who don't make any money. Because you know, when you first get to the majors, you're not making a lot in comparison. And when you're just a minor league player, they were paying them $400 a week during the pandemic. Can't live on that. Yeah, even, even I make more than that. Yeah, even I make more than that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm making north of 400 a week, so take that non-professional minor league baseball. Well, they're still professional <laughs> baseball players. But. Yeah, I know. That is true. That's funny. It's like, it's like when people used to ask me, like, hey, when you're in the CIA, did that get you all the ladies? I was like, no. No, they find out you're a government bureaucrat, you don't make much money, and you might get sent overseas and not be able to talk to them for months at a time. No, that does not. That does not get the ladies <laughs> much better to be a professional athlete, folks, or even semi pro or even just, you know, really, really good in whatever rec league you're playing in. So, yeah, just there. Just there for that. Um, I Bruce just hope Martin, they, I, they figure it out so we can have some baseball. and It's not the only sport that doesn't come back after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will also say I, I watched some of the Epstein show on Netflix last night. One thing that's notable, I don't I think they, they flash for one second a picture of Epstein with Bill Clinton and they've shown and had discussions about and, and put him very clearly in the same frame with Donald Trump so many times that it's, it's like a, a Biden ad that they're running. Uh, but the Epstein show is very just overall, uh, it is very disturbing and it shows you the depth of of how, how look how corrupt the justice system can really be. I mean, the fact that this guy, you know, that story pretty well. The Epstein story. Yeah. Yeah. Eh, ish. Uh, I mean, I haven't watched it yet. Is it what you're asking? Well, no, I just mean, you know, the backstory I mean, the fact that this guy at, at, at multiple phases, you had career law enforcement officers who were told, oh, this guy's going to go to prison for the rest of his life. And then somehow and no one understood why they were told, oh, no, he's actually going to get a really minor charge and spend almost no time in prison. That doesn't happen, folks. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not even getting into the did Epstein kill himself thing right now. I mean, I'm just going to say the whole thing is very shady. Uh, But the Epstein show is well, well worth your time, even though it's on Netflix. And even though you will have to you will see that it it never comes up that, that Bill Clinton was on his 727 uh, uh, producer Nick is saying that Clinton comes up a lot more later on in the series. Oh, he does. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, producer Nick. That's good to know because because I'm two episodes in and all it talks about is Mar-a-Lago and Trump. And I'm like, come on. Now, look, what's true is true, but also what's fair is fair. And that means you got to tell all the truths. And Clinton was super tight. Here, producer Nick, have you seen have you seen all of it? Okay. Yes. He says there's more on Clinton in the dock. Well, I'm glad then because then I as I get further into this. I feel like I, I it won't be so because right now you're just like, OK, so it's all about Donald Trump's relationship with this guy. Donald Trump was owned Mar-a-Lago. It's a club. There's hundreds and hundreds of members coming and going as they please. It's not the same thing as. Oh, but it was produced by Clinton's buddy, James Patterson, the author. Yes, it was indeed. Producer Nick coming through on this one. Producer Mark, you think you'll watch it? I think I'll get to it at some point. Like, I yeah. saw it on the top heading of Netflix. So I was like, ah, that's interesting, but it's very graphic, I, I imagine, and very disturbing. So it's it's not, you have very, to be in the mood for it. It's very disturbing. Very disturbing. You're just like, how did this happen? But it's interesting. Um, all right, Kara, first up here. Oh, remember, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com or Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Also, 
You don't want to make producer Mark sad. You want him to hear your voice. So please call in to our voicemail box for the show. 844-900. Is that right? No, wait. What is the number, Mark? Yeah, I think you had it right. 844-900-BUCK. 2825. 844-900-BUCK. I don't say it you know, live on the show these days, so I forget it sometimes. 844-900-2825. Uh, call, leave a voicemail. Like I said, if you want it to get on the air, got to keep it to under 40 Five seconds. Under 30 would be the best. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What do we got here? We got Kara, who is first up. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. I am from Jacksonville and listen via podcast. Buck, I love your political insight and humor. You and El Rushbo are my main politics guys. Thank you for all you do. And I just know and just know that I will never bend the knee. Shields high. Kara. Well, Kara, don't bend the knee and keep that shield high. And thank you so much for writing in. P.S. For producer Mark. Quack, quack. Mr. Ducksworth. Is that what is that producer? Quack, Mark? quack, quack, quack. Mr. Ducksworth. Yeah. Do you even have an idea what movie that's from? I mean, I'm, I'm a savvy enough fellow to figure out without ever having seen it that that may be... It's either DuckTales or The Mighty Ducks. I'm going to guess Mighty Ducks because yes. you're obsessed. Yes. It is from the, Mighty, the original Mighty Ducks when uh, Gordon Bombay, the head coach, is a lawyer and uh, he gets fired over some youth hockey stuff and then he starts yelling at his boss, boss who happens to be yelled... Um, happens to be named Mr. Ducksworth. So he starts quacking at him. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. All right. I, I, might, I, might, I might watch this one. It, is it, it must be Emilio Estevez's best, best, scene, best movie. Uh, I mean, otherwise, you're probably at yeah. Young Guns. His best two movies. I mean, the third one, he's not in quite as much. He's in it, but he's not in a main role. Now let's get to Marcus. Now, here's a question. What happens to property insurance premiums and deductibles when a city disbands its police force? I'm thinking they shoot upwards. And Marcus, I don't think anybody really has a uh, well, I mean, I think the answer would be sure. You're right. I mean, just the extent of it might still be an open question. Um, But, yeah, if, if you if you get rid of the police force, people will be at greater risk. They'll be at, you know, a greater degree of of jeopardy. And and I do think, um, yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I think that that would be a problem. But that's that's one of many problems that would come from getting rid of your police force. Uh, many problems indeed. Also, what is with the why are people wearing these face masks that are like like Biden is wearing a black face mask? Why not wear, you know, like surgical masks tend to be this kind of pale blue color or. Uh, I'm just wondering, why, why go with the black mask? I wonder if this is supposed to be... Is there some political statement that's being made by wearing specifically... Producer Mark, do you know, by wearing specifically the black uh, I'm not sure mask? off the top of my head, no. Well, just take a look. Because Biden very... I've never seen Biden wearing a mask, and I just maybe just haven't seen him that many times, where he wasn't wearing a black face mask. And I just wonder, you know, black armbands have been a symbol of protests in the past. Because uh, I just saw him, I saw him pop up on the screen on Fox News. I'm going, he he got a. I mean, when he has the black face mask and the glasses on, he really does look like he's going to chase Frodo across the Shire or whatever. I mean, he looks like one of the ring wraiths. I mean, it's it's not not a good look. But he's got these dark sunglasses on. He's wearing this mask anyway. Uh, Michael, 
Buck, I find it entertaining that all the Antifa nitwits and hipster anti-gun rioters are calling for abolishing the police. They seem to just assume that in the ensuing chaos, they'll come out on top and their ideas will gain power and prominence. I don't think they understand that the law, law enforcement, and our social construct are the only thing keeping everyday Americans from curb stomping them and putting an end to this behavior. Shields high. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's a crazy thing for anybody to assume that the absence of law enforcement would be a good thing for society overall. I think it's clearly a terrible thing. It would be very, very bad for everybody. And I'm just sorry that the the power of narrative and the media's the media's lust for control and for being in a position to dictate the narrative is, is so strong that they will allow for these really dangerous and destructive ideas to continue to flourish. Disbanding the police. It's just I really I don't know. I don't know uh, what it's going to take for people to wake up. I think that there's been mass brainwashing. There's actually an interesting piece. Maybe I'll pull it up for you guys and talk to you about it tomorrow that I read on really applying the uh, applying the research and the academic literature on cult indoctrination to the left's wokeness. And taking you through the phases of that, and because I, I really do think now, because people that I, I know who seem rational and normal have become on, on all these different issues of wokeness have just become uh, c- completely maniacal. I mean, you can't challenge them. And they're so they're so sanctimonious and their arguments are so weak and they can't exchange ideas and they just want to put, put themselves in a place where they can hold this posture of superiority over everyone who does not agree all the time. And I'm always interested. I always like to hear arguments that are intelligent, that disagree with mine, because I want to know that I can I can still I can still hold the positions that I do and really believe that I'm right. So I want to hear the best arguments the other side has. I don't want to hear I don't want to create straw men. But that's not how the, that's not how the left does it. You know, look what they did with COVID-19. Hey, guys, maybe shutting down the whole U.S. economy for a disease that is really only a high risk for people in a certain in certain categories and is also not going to be cured or go away anytime soon and so on and so forth. And it was, you know, you want to kill grandma and all you care about is your 401k. No, that's not a, that that wasn't an honest that wasn't a good faith approach to that debate. But that's what the left did. Van writes, Buck, is the president van down by the river? You little young whippersnapper. Did you ever even see that one, producer Mark? Of course. Don't insult me. All right. Just making sure this guy was like in the, you know, probably in the third grade or something. when Chris Farley was doing. I still have watched the greatest hits of Chris Farley many times. All right. And what is let's see if you get this. What is Chris Farley's best movie? Movie? Yeah. All right. He made movies. I mean, I know he made movies, but I never saw them all. Tommy Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll give you that one. That's what I'm here for. Fat guy in a little coat. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen Tommy Boy. Okay. Just didn't come to mind immediately. Oh, Richard. All right. um, Let's see. Here we go. Van, President Buck, is the president trying to ruin... His chances of reelection, if that's the case, he's well on his way. If not, then he truly needs a screener for his tweets. You seem to have a bit of favor. Nod, nod, wink, wink. 
Well, Van, I got to tell you, first of all, thanks for writing in. And I wish I had the kind of influence on the president to get him to not tweet things that are not in the interests of, well, really anyone. Um, But, you know, this is the president is the way I view it is the president on Twitter is kind of like watching, you know, a run and gun quarterback who will will pull off things that you know defenses can't handle and he'll 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 break out of the pocket and he'll throw it long in the end zone but sometimes he gets picked off <laughs> and sometimes the other team runs it back for 20 or 30 yards uh so i don't think that's going to change uh i don't think that's going to change i think this is just where where he is on this stuff so we will have to see um chuck uh buck so it takes Eight or nine months to get a 20-gauge shotgun for sporting clays and, and personal defense in New York City? Son, sorry. I love visiting the Big Apple, but you need to move. Best from the red state of Alabama, where that is certainly not the norm. Well, Chuck, you got to give me some help here, man. If I were to move to Alabama as a guy who likes to be able to walk around places and not always be in a car, what's my best option in Alabama? You know, sell me on it. You know, maybe the Freedom Hut Alabama is going to happen. I mean, the producer Mark is already, I think he's already picking out the drapes on his house in florida uh you know so i don't know if we're going to be yeah, able to get him to- i'm closing next week buck you can't yeah, just change I, don't, I think you know he's already he's picturing him and mrs mark out by the pool you know it's that's going to be a tough one but hey we can have a pool and they got pools in alabama you know i'm sure it's they warm. do i'm sure alabama is lovely yes they don't have any florida. beaches though what's the uh, i wonder they must have some state income tax in alabama because it's not i don't know though Maybe it's, no it's not one of the states it's not one of the yeah. It's not one of the no it's, states, and it's it, higher than zero. You know my policy. Yeah, I know that's a problem. I, I mean, I love South Carolina. I think they got like a six. I think Georgia too, like a six or seven percent state income tax. Ooh, ouch. Producer Mark, do you want to take a? Do you want to take a zero percent pay cut or a six or seven percent pay cut? I'll take a six or seven percent pay cut. Well, no, I thought you. Oh wait, no, pay cut. Sorry, <laughs> uh, pay raise. I'm there we tired. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my, my, my uh, analogy is breaking down. Jared, dear Buck, how long do you think till the political civil war kicks in? Red versus blue. Think about that. Every team from video games to sports are now uh, to TV shows are always red versus blue. I listen to your show every night since I started driving a truck and I watch you on Pluto TV. Keep up the good fight, Mark and Buck. Jared, I think politically speaking, the civil war is kind of already underway. It's just thankfully not at this point an actual war war. Um, but yeah, I'm uh I'm I'm concerned, my friend. I, I, I don't know where this really goes. I feel like everything is so politicized and so polluted with politics now. I don't know how we turn that back, at least not in any rapid fashion. And uh, given what's going to be the, the most contentious, I'm not going to say it's the most momentous election. Everyone says it about every election, but the most contentious election of all time. I think that's where we're heading for right now. I think that it's going to be nastier. Martha, I live in Singapore, so I'm a bit out of the loop. I w- but I want to hear from you is whether or not you think that Trump can pull it out in the next election. Well, Martha, Team Buck Singapore in the house. Uh, yes, I think Trump can pull it off. No, I can't promise you that he will. So we got to stay in the fight. No matter what comes our way, team, shields high. 